0: I invite you to hear the voice of God speaking to us through these words of Holy Scripture. Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, Look, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soul's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This may have been a parable that you have heard before. I'm familiar with the parable. But you know, the traditional way to hear this parable is really to hear it as a warning produce or be rejected, produce or die, produce or we're going to cut you down. And one of the reasons we hear it this way is because we remember what John the Baptist said at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew chapter 3. He said, The axe is already at the root, ready to cut it down. Produce good fruit or be ready to be cut down. We also get this story mixed up with Jesus cursing the fig tree, or most of the the stories now call it the lesson of the fig tree, that is captured in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There have been a few scholars that said this story is that story, but it's not because Luke captures both, that story that Matthew and Mark also capture, and this one. This is not another statement of bear fruit or else. We are supposed to bear fruit. But this parable is a statement about worth. We are not what we produce. We are valuable because of who we are and whose we are. And we are worth special attention. The message that we are what we produce, that our value comes only from what we achieve, accomplish, or produce, that's a result of American capitalism, not of Christianity. For far too long, I think, we have run our Christian lives by this motto, and too often we try to run our churches by it as well. This idea that we have to produce in order to have value. I want you to notice the context that Luke places this story in. We know that when Luke wrote his gospel, he already had Mark, he probably already had Matthew, and he writes another story, another gospel, to tell even more. He interviews new people, he gets more information, and he puts those together to help him tell the story of Jesus in the way that he wants to. He doesn't necessarily get them chronological, that wasn't his point. So where he places stories and how those stories move together become part of his message. He puts it here after a discussion of people getting what they deserve. He puts it between a story of judging the value and righteousness of others and curing a woman who needs to be healed of having been bent, of having had her back twisted We know from the earlier story in verses 1 through 5 that some come to tell Jesus about Pilate putting some men to death, in particular because they are other Galileans. Jesus is from Galilee. Most of his disciples are from Galilee. Hey, Pilate's killing other Galileans, and more than likely, those other Galileans have been killed because they're another Messianic movement the more traditional um, interpretation of a Messiah, someone coming to overthrow Rome, get Rome off of them, create a religious revival, establish Israel as an independent nation. Yeah, some of those people, Jesus wasn't the only one who claimed to be Messiah. He just was the only one who was. And so some of them have been put to death. And Jesus says, Okay, so you're, you're assuming that they, they got what was coming to them, that that happened to them because they're less righteous, they're less faithful, they're wrong? What about those 18 people that the Tower of Siloam fell on? You think they were less righteous than you? This is the conversation happening when Jesus responds with this parable about a fig tree that somebody wants to cut down. And he follows up the story with a story of healing a woman who is crippled. The word, if we look at the Greek word, it literally means twisted. For 18 years, her back has been twisted, and she's been in pain, and she has struggled to move, to travel, to do the things that she needs to do. And Jesus heals her. And it says she immediately stood up. And in the Greek, her spine was straightened. She straightened up. Luke uses these to tell us. Some had twisted thinking about righteousness, about achievement, about how we judge people and their value. And so he tells them a parable to help us correct our thinking, and then he shows us what that ought to look like, that we ought to immediately straighten up. Align our thinking with that of God through Jesus Christ instead of continuing in our own twisted ways. My friends, when we are overfunctioning, when we think we have to do more than our share, we can't ever quit, we can't stop, that drive to overfunction is an idea that we believe we only get what we earn and that we have to earn it all, that we have to strive and constantly be striving to get anything. We forget that some start far behind the starting line, and others of us start ahead of the starting line. But more than anything, that idea forgets God. It forgets that God created us and called us good. It forgets that in Isaiah chapter 43, when he talks about his people, he calls them beloved and he says, I would trade all of creation to ransom you back. You are precious. I called you. I have called you by name. The entire story of the Bible is the story of a God who sees more hope, more potential in a people than they do in themselves, and he absolutely will not give up. You read through Scripture, God creates something good, we mess it up, he tries to fix it. We mess up the way he tries to fix it, and he gives us another way to fix it. Ultimately, he just comes in the person of Jesus Christ to fix it once and for all. That's the story of Scripture God didn't do that because we weren't valuable or because we weren't valuable until we did something. God did it because we were valuable. The story also reveals that God even goes on to give us everything we need to live lives pleasing to him. God saves us. We don't save ourselves. God loved us. We respond to that. We accept the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We don't earn it. Jesus paid our debt for us. We're not paying it back. That's not what's happening in a church. We're not paying God back for not sending us to hell. No, we are responding with glad and grateful hearts, responding to the love that God gives to us. God even gives us the Holy Spirit to manage this spiritual renovation project that is us as we become more like Christ through sanctifying grace. And He gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that as we come together in congregations and churches, we can accomplish the work that He has given us to do. He doesn't do all of that because we lack value, but because we have value. Now, some of you are probably saying, as there's a part of me that says, oh, but aren't we supposed to work? Aren't we supposed to produce? Like my mind immediately goes to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, where they're talking about how the church is going to work and says, well, I mean, we taught you this when we were there. If someone won't work, they won't eat. Like, this is not about freeloading. Book of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9 says that someone who is lazy is a brother to a thug I love the way the message translation says it slack habits and sloppy work are as bad as vandalism we can mess up as much by what we do not do as what we do by being lazy that's not what this is about we are supposed to produce good works We are supposed to be good people. There are things God needs us to do, like sharing our faith, bearing witness to Christ. But that production is a natural result of health. It comes out of the relationship. It comes out of the fullness, the overflow of God's love in our lives. You know, we as Methodists are what we call both-and people. John Wesley would grab hold of two different concepts and he'd pull them together. So that when say, is it this or this? And John would be like, yes. Is Christianity about our inner life or our outer life? Yes. Does God have a plan for us or do we have free will? Yes. Is the church about saving our soul or changing the world? Yes. Loving God or loving our neighbor? Yes. But we get it twisted when we let the pendulum swing too far and we end up in only one of those. It can't just be about our inner life. It also has to be about the actions that come about us from it. It can't just be about saving our soul for God created the whole world. And scripture tells us he's in the process of redeeming the whole world and making it like it's supposed to be. So once We experience Christ, we become active in changing the world around us. The way we show our love for God is also through the way we love our fellow human being, both and. Being matters. Doing matters. We're not saying don't work. No, that's not what you should hear here. But you don't do what you do. As a determination of your value, you do it as a determination of witness to your value because of who God says that you are. And we don't do that to the point of exhaustion. When we become exhausted, we tend to be negative. How many of you know that? A child who is tired is a cranky child. A tired Tammy is a cranky Tammy. Just recently, Kyle said to me, um, when you schedule for some time off because you're overdue. And I went, it's February. How can I be overdue? And he went, well, you, you need some time off. And I said, am I being mean? And he went, well, when we get exhausted and tired, we tend to get negative. And if we keep working and pushing beyond that, we will hit something called burnout. And if we keep pushing beyond that, we'll experience a breakdown. We'll be broken in who we are. My friends, that's not what God wants for you. Not even the way in which God works at drawing you to himself and saving you is never about breaking you. What he says is, when the world breaks you, I pick you up and put you back together. We have to learn to stop trying to do, 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 do do all the time. When we derive our value from our work and what we produce, there are two things that are happening. One is our ego is involved, and the other is low self-esteem. One of those two things is happening. Either your ego is so big that you have lost sight of the fact that you are not the Messiah you're just supposed to be working for the Messiah. You've got to stop thinking that you're essential, that nothing can happen without you. Micromanaging, having to do everything, never letting anybody else do it. That's a sign that we think we're the only one who can do it. We aren't the Messiah, Jesus is. The other side of that, and I think the much more common, is low self esteem. We overfunction, we overwork because we're trying to prove to people that we are valuable, that we are worthwhile, that they should be able to depend on us and to trust us. My friends, you do not have to prove that you deserve to be loved. You don't. John said, The axe is at the root. If you don't bear fruit, we're going to cut it down. And Jesus tells this story. I think in answer to that, a balance, a counterbalance. In the story, there is a vineyard owner who is looking for production. Who needs grapes to produce? I need olives to to bloom so I can have olive oil. I need stuff, and I need this one to produce it, and it's not. It's not helping me, so it has no value. My friends, please don't make that God. Understand that as the world. The world says you're only as valuable to me as what you produce and the role you play. But Jesus is the gardener. And remember that Jesus is God. The gardener steps in and says, No, 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 wait a second. Let me nurture it. Let me mentor it. Let me invest in it. I'll dig around it. I'll improve the soil. I'll bring in some extra stuff. I, I think we can still. I think we can still produce something worthwhile here. The gardener sees value and worth before the first olive, before the first fig, before the first of anything has ever been produced. God finds value. So here, John the Baptist is talking to the religious establishment, the ones who are keeping others in bondage, the ones who think they are better than, the ones who think the way to accomplish this is through following rules. Jesus here talks to the rest of us, to those who are worn out, trying to earn God's love and people's approval, to those who have been running that rat waste for so long that you don't know if you can even keep doing it for another day. Jesus speaks to those who are desperately spinning that hamster wheel trying to earn your parents' approval your boss's recognition your spouse's love or God's forgiveness. I remind you what Jesus' task was Isaiah 61 good news for those who are tired worn out and downtrodden Healing for those whose hearts have already been broken. Comfort for those who are mourning. And pardon and freedom for those who are imprisoned. Jesus says to you, I am the master gardener. I step right in between the expectations of others and you. And with refreshing water, some extra mulch, some careful pruning... I give you permission to stop striving for what the world says you need to do to earn value. I give you permission to quit trying to live up to all of that. I'm not going to make you valuable. You already are. Together, we're going to help you understand your value and live into it by producing what God calls you to produce. You will produce good fruit. Not so that I will love you, but because I do. Thanks be to God. Amen.